Okay, firstly, thank you to the Viniskis for hosting. Mitzvah the house and the garage and the... Uh, and this part of the home should be filled with the Shemitah Shemitah Bracha and Atzlacha, Mitzvah Shem Nachas from the kids and Mitzvah Shem continued, continued growth in Avedis Hashem. We're here really tonight to talk about Purim Katan and maybe we'll try to zoom out a little bit and talk about the general concept of an Ibriyar. It doesn't happen that often. It's pretty often every, every about three, four years. We had it two years ago, but maybe we'll talk in general about the concept of an Ibriyar, of a leap year, what the purpose of a leap year is, and then really to try to talk about specifically Purim Katan. It's this week, Thursday night, Friday, and uh, to try to talk a little bit about how it's the importance of Purim Katan. It's a day which is, is not so widely celebrated, but I think we've mentioned before, I don't know, over here, definitely by the men, we've mentioned many times that the days that are the least understood and the least celebrated always means that they have the most amount of depth to it. The more you're able to do something, the more you're able to see something, the more you're able to experience something in a very tangible way, the more you know that it's, okay, it's a yontif which you can sort of grasp. The less you can grasp of the yontif in terms of physical standards, in terms of a basic mitzvah, there's no real mitzvah, there's no mitzvah to really even eat a suda, although there are masas that one should, but there's no real mitzvah to eat a typical suda the way we eat. There's no Kriyas Megillah, there's no Shalachmanas, there's no and there's very little that has to do with Purim. At the same time, as we'll see, that it's obviously a very, very important yontif, and really the whole month, and everything that's taking place within this month of Adar Aleph, Adar Beis, is very, very important. And obviously, we'll try to talk about specifically how it's very relevant to women, specifically the idea of an Ibriyar, of a leap year, and specifically the Yantif of Purim Katan. So let's just try to unwrap the sugya a little bit about the concept of where a leap year comes from and why leap year, what a leap year means practically. And then we'll try to talk about a little bit what a leap year means in terms of Avayda, in terms of how it, how, it, how it relates to each and every one of our lives and how it's, this is, we'll see, this is something that's very, very fundamental and very much a part of every one of our lives. So when it comes to the Yantif of Purim Katan, the name of the Yantif is a very odd name. The name is called Purim Katan, which literally means the small Purim. It seems like there's a big Purim, a small Purim. We don't call the regular Purim, we don't call it Purim Gadol. We don't call anything else really in, in any other Yantif. Throughout the calendar, we never call it Katan. We don't call, even though there's a Pesach and a Pesach Sheni, we don't call it Pesach and Pesach Katan. We call it Pesach and Pesach Sheni. It's the second Pesach. We don't call this one the, the Hachana for Purim. We don't call it just the Purim of a leap year. We call it specifically the name Purim Katan, which means that there's something very unique about this Yantif that the idea of smallness of Katan is going to be connected to the day, the day of Purim Katan. And the question is, what's small about the day? It's obviously small because there's less that's done. Why is that small? It's maybe not as significant. It's maybe not the real Purim. But if you say that it's not the real Purim, I understand. What does it mean that it's a small Purim? What's small about the Purim? Well, how does small, the type of the name Katan, the word katan, which means small, how is that related specifically to the idea of Purim? So in order to really understand it, like I said, we have to go back to really the whole idea of a leap year in general. And the basic concept and the reason why we have a leap year is very, very simply. The way that we count the, we count the calendar year, we count it based on the lunar calendar as opposed to the solar calendar. The rest of the world counts based on the solar calendar, except for the Muslims. And the and call Yisrael counts based on the lunar calendar. There's a discrepancy in between the lunar calendar and the solar calendar of 11 days, 354, 365. There's 11 days in between. If we just went with the lunar calendar and followed that all the way through, what would happen would be is that over a few years, over a period of a few years, all the all the Yamim would start to shift slowly. They would start to shift 11 days, another 11 days, and slowly start to shift. And within a matter of years, Pesach instead of falling out. When, we, when it falls out, which is Chaydash Aviv, instead of falling out the springtime, Pesach would fall out in the middle of the winter. Now, if you can imagine what Pesach would look like in the middle of the winter, it would probably not be a lot of fun trying to get everybody to go to the back porch to eat supper when it's freezing cold and snowing outside. 
there might be some other advantages to Pesach in the winter, but slowly all the Yom and Taifun would shift and everything would be different. And in Islam, it's like that. Islam only follows the lunar calendar. And it's very interesting. They can have Ramadan either smack middle of the winter, which is great for them, short days. It's not so hot outside. It's not so difficult to fast. Or Ramadan can fall out in the middle of the summer on long days when it's hot. I remember in Eretz Yisrael, we had some construction workers in the building and he's talking to them and it's in the middle of the heat of the winter in Yushalayim and it's hot and it's a long day and they have to fast the whole day. And it's a whole month like that and it just, it slowly shifts every year and every year it moves, out, it moves 11 days based on this discrepancy between the solar calendar and the lunar calendar. Chazal said that the way our Yom Tevim need to fall out is also not just on a specific day, not just a specific calendar day, but also a specific season. Pesach needs to be in the springtime. Sukkot needs to be a Chag Asav and gathering things in. Every Yontif needs to fall out at a specific season as well. And therefore what Chazal did is something called the Seid Ha'ibr. They made a leap year and the leap year makes that every about three years there's going to be a leap year and which will add another month to the Chaydash Adar. And that way, they'll always, we'll make sure that that discrepancy doesn't get too far, does, the gap doesn't get too big, and therefore we'll, everything will be able to fall out in exactly its pace, pay, exactly in the right place. Pesach will always be in the springtime, Sukkot will always be at the beginning of the winter, Hanukkah will be in the middle of the winter, everything's gonna fall out exactly when it's supposed to fall out. That's the basic reason why there needed to be this concept of, the, of a leap year happening every, every few years. Now, if we think about what that means, if we think about what that means in terms of our practical work, Obviously, the idea of a leap year is the unification of the sun and the moon. So the idea of counting by the moon would mean that the discrepancy would start to widen and we would end up with Yom Tov at the wrong season. Counting by the sun is not the way we do it. We say, the, moon. the idea of a leap year is to merge together the sun and the moon. To be able to make that the sun and the moon, those differences don't get too wide. And as soon as the difference between the solar calendar and the lunar calendar gets too big, Right away, we pull them back together, and specifically in a leap year, the whole idea of everything that's taking place in a leap year is unifying back together the sun and the moon. Now, if you go back to the beginning of creation, we know that there was an issue that took place with the sun and the moon. That the first, first real breakdown in anything that took place in creation, before Adam, Eif, and the Eitz Hadas, before anything took place, the first breakdown that took place in creation was this separation between the sun and the moon. Hashem originally created what the Pasuk says, Hashem made the sun and the moon were equal in size. Both the sun and the moon were equal in size and they both were there shining in the greatest, in the greatest light. The moon said, Hashem, it's not fear. Hashem, it's not fear. You can't make the sun and the moon the same. There can't be two kings that have one crown. And therefore, it can't be that the sun and the moon are both going to share the same crown, that there's two kings, a sun and the moon are both going to be kings. Therefore, the moon said, Rabban Hashem, it's not fair. You did something wrong. There's some sort of mistake in creation. The sun and the moon are equal. You have to fix something. So Hashem said, okay. He said, if you want to, if I'm going to fix something, I'll fix it by taking your portion, the portion of the moon, and making it smaller and diminishing the size of the moon to being smaller. And the moon complains. And there's a whole discussion in the Gemara and Chulin, exactly a back and forth between the moon. And Hashem says that the Call you soul count by the moon. Hashem gives an achama, a comfort to the moon by having stars. There's a dialogue back and forth between the moon and the Rabban Islam where the moon says, it's not fear. Hashem says, okay, that's fine. If it's not fear, you'll get your, your portion taken away. Right? Like children sometimes say it's not fear. So, okay, then your portion gets taken away. And that way, if you don't think it's fair that you both have exactly the same, yours gets taken away. That's what Hashem said to the moon. And ultimately the moon now became what, what the Pasuk refers to as ma'ar hakatan, the small light and the sun became the Ma'ara Gadol, that's the large light. That's the difference that took place at the beginning of creation between the sun and the moon, the separation, where the moon says, I don't wanna live in tandem, I don't wanna to live together with the sun. The moon says, we can't both be using the same crown. That separation 
was caused at the beginning of creation, and ultimately the Ibra year, ultimately every leap year, is bringing them back together. And that's where the Ibra year, again, we don't have time to go into all these things, but that's where the leap year is very heavily connected to the world of Mashiach as well, because what it's doing is it's bringing back the Levana, bringing back the moon, back to the, back to the way it's supposed to be, that there is no real gap in between, the, in between the sun and the moon. What we say, the men say, every time they say Kiddush Levana, we say, that the Banashem should take the Pegima of the Levana, that which the moon became diminished, and Hashem should fill it up, and that's what's going to happen. The Asad Lava when Mashiach comes, that the light of the moon will be like the light of the sun. And that's really what's going on in the Ibriyar. What's going on in every leap year is it's a reunification, bringing things back to the way they were at the beginning of creation. So which means that the whole secret of everything that takes place in the leap year is obviously going to be connected to this dialogue that took place between the moon and Hashem. And the question is, what exactly is this dialogue? A very, very odd dialogue. Here you have a moon. Now, first of all, moons don't talk, but obviously there's some, there's some aspect of what the moon is saying that's relative to, to every one of us and relative to everything that was taking place in creation that the moon is saying, I'm not happy with being a moon. I'm not happy with being on the same level as the sun. I want something different. I want that there should be some, some hierarchy, that there should be that the sun, that the moon should be higher than the sun as opposed to the sun and the moon being equal which means a very, very simple thing. All this farm talk about this and it means something very simple. The sun and the moon represent, even before the moon became small, the sun and the moon represent what this farm called mashpia and makabal, the one who's giving and the one who's receiving. The sun is always the mashpia. The sun is the one that's giving. The sun is the one that, the one that gives the light and the moon was there to reflect the light. Now this was true even prior to the Hashem making the moon small, that the moon was always there, to, always there to act as a way to reflect the light of the sun. The sun was the one giving the light, and the moon was there to reflect the light of the sun by, by taking in everything that the sun was shining into it and reflecting the light of the sun. What the moon said is the moon said, I don't wanna be a makabal. I don't wanna be somebody that's receiving because it's boring to receive. There's nothing exciting about receiving it. If I'm just sitting in a position where I'm just receiving, where everything I'm doing is, is without any action, it's just inaction of just sitting and receiving, the moon says, I don't wanna live like that. And not only that, you can't tell me, the moon says, that it's You can't tell me that there's equality in between the sun and the moon, in between the mashpia and the makabal, between the one giving and receiving, the moon said that's not true. It can't be that there's an equality between the one giving and the one receiving. It's clear that the one who's mashpia, the one who's giving, has the vital role. He's the one that has the main, main role. And therefore the moon says, which means this duality of the sun and the moon, of the mashpia and the makabal, of the two of them working together, the moon says it's not true. Because I'm just sitting here and I'm just receiving everything and not doing anything. So I'm sitting inactive, I'm not doing anything. There's no, there's no purpose to just being the moon who's reflecting the light. The moon said, I don't wanna live that life. I don't wanna live a life in which I'm just inactive and just reflecting the light of somebody else. And therefore the moon says, there can't be two kings. There's only one king and the moon said, I see clearly who's the king. The king is the sun. The king is the one that's the mashpia. The king is the one that's giving off the light as opposed to what's receiving the light. And what the moon didn't understand and this is where the main, main problem is, the moon didn't understand, is that he misunderstood the way, the way things take place. Although there's always a relationship of a mashpia and a makabal, of a giver and a receiver, the goal of the one receiving is not simply to receive. Makabal doesn't just sit and receive. The makabal doesn't just sit and take everything in and it just remains where it is. The makabal is the one who's able to take everything that's given to, to it, to the one that's makabal, and is able to cultivate it and turn it into something real. So the mashpia, the one that's giving the light, is that that's the light, but that's the light that can't be looked at. It's the light of the sun, the light which is not really tangible, the light which can't be utilized properly. It gives over the light, 
And then the goal of the moon is to take that light and to be able to cultivate it into something that's manageable, something that actually people are able to experience and able to utilize properly. So every time you're gonna have a mashpi and a makabal, the makabal is gonna say, I don't wanna be the makabal because the makabal is not doing anything. It's just receiving everything put into it by the mashpi. But the reality is the way the Rabbanishman intended it to be, the way that it's going to be once Mashiach comes is that both the mashpia and the makabal are gonna recognize that they have equal roles. The mashpia's role is the one giving, the makabal's one is the one receiving, but not just receiving for the sake of just receiving and it remaining the way it is, receiving in a way that you take potential and bring the potential to reality. Right, so a very, very simple example of this is the six days of the week in Shabbos. The six days of the week are obviously going to be that which is mashpia. The six days of the week are that which is doing. Right? The Gemara says that if somebody doesn't work on Erev Shabbos, then it's impossible to be able to eat on Shabbos. Misha Tarach Erev Shabbos, somebody who works on Erev Shabbos can eat on Shabbos. The six days of the week are where a person's involved in action. What is Shabbos? Shabbos is the female. Shabbos is the one who's makabal. Shabbos is like the moon. Shabbos is called Shabbos Malkasa, the queen of Shabbos. Right? I just did a question and answer with eighth grade girls, I think it was last week. So I asked them, you know, what is Shabbos? Is Shabbos a male or a female? It's everyone knows Shabbos is a female. Why? Because the goal of what Shabbos is, Shabbos is receiving. You don't work on Shabbos. There's no work on Shabbos, there's inaction. Even in Ruchnius, it really works that way. Shabbos is inaction. But Shabbos receives everything that was put into it during the six days of the week, and then it brings it out from potential into reality. So a person works on a lot of things during the week. Shabbos is the day where a person's able to sit and cultivate everything that was put into it into bringing from, from potential into reality. So on the one hand, Shabbos can say, Shabbos is, just the, Shabbos is just the makabal. Shabbos is just receiving. But the reality is that Shabbos is not just receiving. Shabbos takes all of the energy put in during the week and Shabbos brings it out, from potential into the world of reality. And that's why Shabbos is a female because female always represents that which is makabal and the male always represents that which is mashpia. We'll see, it doesn't have to only do with a male and female specifically in terms of the biological makeup. But the male and female always represent, in Kabbalah, it always represents the mashpia and the makabal, the one that's giving and the one that's receiving. Every Rebbe who has Talmidim, he's gonna be, the Rebbe is going to be the mashpia, and the Talmidim, although they're male Talmidim, are gonna be the makabal. They're gonna be the one that's receiving. The goal of them receiving is not simply to sit there when the Rebbe gives the shear and they just sit there and just take everything in and it remains exactly the way it was. The goal of them receiving everything is to take what the Rebbe is giving them and to cultivate it, to turn it into something real, to turn it into something from potential, from everything the Rebbe is saying into reality. Parents and children are the same way. Parents are the mashpia. Both the husband and the wife are the mashpia. They're the ones giving over. And then the children take all of the ideas, all of the potential that the parents have, all of the ways that the parents would love their home to look like, and the children are able to take that potential and to turn it into reality. So what the moon didn't understand, this is the mistake of the moon, and it's a mistake that really began then, and it really is still, we're still suffering from it today, that the moon thought that by being just a makabal, you're just a makabal. That that's it you're doing, you're just receiving. And the moon didn't realize that the ultimate, ultimate, the highest level is that which is makabal, everything that's put into it and turns it into something, right? So in the biological makeup, the male and the female, the, the male is the one that's giving, he's mashpia, but ultimately the female is the one who's able to take that tiny drop, that potential and turn it into a child. The female is the one who's able to take that potential and to be able to cultivate that little potential from a potential into reality to turn it into a being, to turn it into a child over the nine month process. So you can say the woman's just the makabal, not just the makabal, she takes the potential 
and turns the potential into reality. The moon, didn't, the moon didn't appreciate that. The moon thought that just receiving is just receiving. And there's nothing else that takes place. It's in, in action. There's nothing that's done. And the reality of life is that they're supposed to be, the Shnei Malacham are, are supposed to be, that the two kings really work together. That a male and female, that a Mashpi and a Makabal, they need each other in order to be able to create something. In order to be able to exist, there always needs to be that the Mashpia needs the Makabal, the one that's giving needs the receiver, and the receiver needs the one that's giving. And it's a constant relationship of a mashpia and a makabal, of a giver and a receiver that needs to take place. If you look back, that's the Lavana, that's what happened with the moon and the sun, that the moon said, I don't want to just receive the light of the sun without recognizing that you're not just receiving the light of the sun. The goal of the moon is to reflect the light of the sun in a way that takes it from potential to reality. And it was really Adam Arishan, when Adam ate from the Eitz Adas, it was the same exact thing. In, in the relationship of Adam and the Rabbani Shalom, in the relationship of humans and Hashem, obviously we're the female, everybody, all of humans are female, and Hashem is the male. Hashem is the one that's giving to us, and we receive. We're the keli, we're the vessel that receives everything from the Rabbani Shalom. Adam Arishan said, I don't want to be there. Adam Arishan said, I don't want to simply receive from the Rabbani Shalom, that I'm getting everything that I need from Hashem. Adam Arishan said, I want power. So when Adam Arishan ate from the Eitz Sadas, the way the Nachash, the way the snake got him to eat from the Eitz Sadas, is he told him two words. And these two words that Adam Rishon heard is what caught Adam, or got Adam Rishon caught up in, this, in the head, in the sin of eating from the Eitz Adas. The Nachash said, the snake said, If you eat from the tree, if you eat from the Eitz Adas, you're going to be godly. What does it mean to be godly? Mean to be godly is that you don't have to receive anymore. As opposed to Adam Rishon just receiving everything from Hashem. And he's living as the one that's makabal. Adam Rishon thought that by eating from the Eitz Adas, he can no longer, he'll no longer have to just remain the one that's receiving, but he could also remain the one that has the power. The name of Lekim, the name of Lehim means to give, to have power. Balakai Cheskulim, the one who has power. Adam Rishon said, I don't want to simply receive, I want to be the one who also has the power to be able to give. And that was a mistake, because Adam Rishon thought that it was, a neg- it was something negative about the fact that he has to be receiving from the Rabbanu Shalom without realizing that's the greatest gift. The greatest gift is that humans are able to receive from Hashem and we're able to take the potential into the reality. And the same way we who are the makabal, that all humans, all of, all of humanity, all of the world is the female to the Rabbani Shalom. We're the ones that are receiving to the Rabbani Shalom. However, nevertheless, the Rabbani Shalom, so to speak, needs us also. Which means the Rabbani Shalom had a taiva, the Medrash says, the Rabbani Shalom had a desire to make a, to make a dwelling space for his shechina in this world. The only ones that are able to do that is Klal Yisrael, is the ones who are able to live in this physical world and bring that potential into reality. So Hashem's potential to be a Baal Chesed, to be doing Chesed, is only able to be actualized when we're in this world. So Adam Rishon looked at his role in this world and said, I'm just a Makabal. I'm just the one that's receiving. I don't want to be the one that's just receiving. I want to be part of the action. And Adam Rishon made the same mistake as the moon made. That Adam Rishon didn't understand that you're not just receiving. You're taking the potential that the Rabbana Shalom has and you're bringing it into reality. The same way the female does that to the male, the same way the Lavana, the moon does that to the sun, Klal Yisrael, every human, every Yid, specifically does that to the Rabbani Shalom, that we take all of that potential and we bring it out to reality. We bring everything Hashem wants to do and we give it, we give, we give it space in this world to be able to be done. And this is the main, again, the main, main mistake of the moon is the thought that it's just, just makabal, just receiving, and it doesn't realize that it's not just receiving, that the goal of the, the, the makabal, the goal of the one that's receiving is to cultivate, is to take something and bring it from potential into reality, to take all of the power that's put there and to bring it from something which is just, it, it's fluid, something that doesn't have real boundaries, something that's not limited, something that's not turned into anything, and to be able to turn it from potential 
into reality. And because the Levana, because the moon didn't understand that, because the moon didn't appreciate that, ultimately Hashem said, now it's going to take place. And what's been taking place ever since the beginning of creation is that all people that receive, and that goes in any relationship, all feel like they got the raw end of the deal. They all feel like they're lower because they're just receiving. So students will feel like that from a Rebbe. A wife, may, oh, females may feel like that from males. People that receive the Ani, the poor person who's receiving from the wealthy person may feel like he's in a position where he's just receiving. When Chazal tell us that the poor people are there in order to receive, in order to give the rich person, the wealthy person, the ability to give. So the poor person is not just receiving. He's also giving a gift to the person that's rich, giving him the ability to take all of that desire to give tzedakah and to be able to give tzedakah. So all of those that are macabre, all of those that are receiving since the beginning of creation feel like they got the lower end of the deal, feel like they're on, feel like they're on the lower on the totem pole because they're just the ones that are just receiving. When in reality, the way it's meant to be is that they're equals, is that the one that's giving and the one that's receiving, they both need each other. We need Hashem because we have absolutely nothing without Hashem. And so to speak, on a certain level, Hashem needs us because Hashem can't bring the potential of being a Baal Chesed of being about Rachavim, of giving if, we're, if there's nobody there to receive. So Hashem wants to, wanted to give before creation and we're the ones that allow Hashem to be the giver. So when a person's receiving, it's not just receiving. The goal of the receiving is also to allow the giver to be the giver. So the receiver needs the giver and the giver needs the receiver. The mashpia needs the makabal and the makabal needs the mashpia. And if each one of, those, one of those parts of that relationship would recognize that, that's what Mashiach looks like. That realization, that recognition that both parts need each other, that the Rebbe needs a Talmud because without the Talmud, the Rebbe is not able to bring all of his ideas and not able to express them properly. If he's not forced to give the Shia or he doesn't have to express it, then the, Talmud, then the Rebbe will never be able to get the clarity. That's what Chazal say, May Talmida that a Rebbe, a Rebbe will say that for my students, I learned more than anybody else, more than even my Rebbeim, even my own Rebbeim, because the student allows the Rebbe to be able to bring the potential into reality. Every wife and every husband, the husband needs the wife and the wife needs the husband. The mashpia needs the makabal. Parents need the children and children need the parents. Every relationship, the wealthy person to the poor person, every relationship of a mashpia and a makabal, the goal is the recognition that we both need each other. That one without the other is not completion. That it's not, you know, the way the world thinks and the, and the, the beginning of the feminist movement was, came from the place of the, the female thinking that it's on the bottom of the totem pole, that it's just the one that's receiving, but that's not the reality. The reality is that the male needs the female, the female needs the male. It's a dual relationship, a relationship of a mashpia and a makabal, and, it, and it's fluid. And it could be moving in various times. The, the female, the mother, is then moves from her role of being a makabal from her husband to then being a mashpia to the children. And the children will then move from a, a position of being makabal, of receiving from the parents, to then when they're giving to their friends, now they're in a position of giving. Everybody's fluid. Everybody has an aspect of them that's male and female, that's giver and receiver. And the recognition, is, the goal is to recognize that they're both necessary, that we need to both be giving and we also need to be receiving, and the part of receiving is not simply to just sit back and just receive, but it's to take everything that's put in and to turn it from potential into reality. So the beginning of the breakdown was the beginning of this Levana, of this moon not understanding this properly, of Adam Arisha not wanting to just receive from Hashem, and the goal is the recognition that we need the Rabbanu Shalom and Kaviyachal, so to speak, Hashem needs us as well. That the male needs the female, the female needs the male, the Rebbe needs the teacher, the Rebbe, the Rebbe needs the students, the student needs the Rebbe, everybody needs each other. That in order to have a proper system working together, there always needs to be a mashpia who's giving, but without that makabal, without the vessel to receive it, it's just potential. And the potential can go anywhere, but it won't be able to be returned into any aspect of reality. And that's, it always is gonna work that way in Kabbalah. There's always gonna be in everything in life. There's always gonna be a mashpia and a makabal, a giver, and 
and the one that's receiving. How does this all have to do with Purim? So obviously this is what a leap year is about. The leap year is about bringing together, bringing back the idea of the sun and the moon together. That slowly there's a discrepancy. This breakdown that took place at the beginning of creation where the moon starts to separate from the sun and the moon says, I'm not important. Only the sun's important. Only the one that's giving is important. And the moon starts to feel like it's on the lower end. The moon starts to feel like it's unimportant, like it's not significant. And the goal of a leap year, the goal of, of what takes place in Ashnasa Ibr is that there's a reunification that we're bringing back together the sun and the moon. That the sun and the moon are slowly coming back together. They were able to experience that they need each other. That the sun needs the moon, the moon needs the sun. The sun on its own doesn't have the ability for anybody to be able to experience and to be able to utilize its light properly. It needs to re reflect its light in the moon and only by doing, by doing that, we're able to experience the ultimate the ultimate bringing back together of the sun and the moon, that they're both, both working under one crown because they're both equally important and they're both necessary for each other. The Shabbos needs the six days of the week and the six days of the week need Shabbos. Every time, every time that the Torah talks about Shabbos, it always talks about it within the context of the six days of the week. I say six days of the week you should work and Shabbos you shouldn't work. Six days of the week you should be involved in plowing your field, Shabbos you can't plow your field. It's always within the context of the six days of the week because those two things need to work together. Shabbos needs the six days of the week because without it, Shabbos is not Shabbos and the, and the six days of the week need Shabbos because without it, there's no bracha, there's no bracha in the week. Nothing's able to happen without Shabbos. And that recognition that they're both necessary, they both need each other, that's the ultimate place where Mashiach's gonna be, where we're gonna be able to be Yimala Pegima Salavana, to bring back the sun and the moon, that both the Mashpia and the Makabal are gonna recognize the value in both giving and the value in receiving, the value in cultivating, the value in, the value in being able to take potential and to be able to turn it into reality. That when parents get married, I'm sure everybody discusses on dates, you know, what exactly they want their home to look like. That's potential. The children are the one that allow that potential to be brought into reality. The children are the one that allow that potential of what we want the home to look like, they can bring it into reality. They allow the parents to become better people. They allow the parents to bring everything they wanna work on, everything they're interested in doing to be brought out into reality. That's the goal of the, of the children. So if parents realize that I need my children, not just that my children are reliant on me, obviously my children are reliant on me, but even if I'm the one in the relationship that's giving, I also need my children because my children allow me to actualize all of the potential of what I want to be, all the potential of what I want to do, and my children allow me to complete this process of a mashpia and a makabal. That's the ultimate place of Mashiach. How does this all tie into Purim? Because Purim, more than any other yantif, the focus is on the makabal rather than the mashpia. The focus is on the moon rather than on the sun. And we'll see this. I'll give a few examples of where we see this, but it really, the theme runs throughout everything that takes place in Purim. Probably the easiest example is the fact that not once in anywhere in Megillus Esther does it mention Hashem's name. So if Klal Yisrael, if the Jewish people are the one that are receiving from Hashem, if we're the female in the relationship between us and Hashem, who's the focus on in the, story, in the Purim story? Not the Rabbani Shalom. Every other nace that happens, every other miracle that takes place, the focus is always on Hashem. Hashem's doing the miracle. Hashem's the one creating the miracle. Who's the focus on when it comes to the Purim story? Klal Yisrael. Hashem's name is not even mentioned once because the main point of Purim is the focus on the one that's receiving. Why? Why is Purim so heavily connected to the one that's receiving? Because a Amalek, what a Amalek comes to do, what a Amalek comes to the world to do, is to say the Rabbanu Shalom is important, Kla Yisrael is not important. That Kla Yisrael has no part in this reality called the world. That there is a world, and they believe, Amalek says, the way this farm explained is that Amalek believes that Hashem created the world and Hashem runs the world. 
But Amalek doesn't believe that we have any part in the process. Amalek believes that you're the one that's just the Makabal, and you're just receiving whatever Hashem wants to give. You have no part in cultivating any part of a reality. And you can't change reality by davening, by learning, by doing mitzvahs. You can't change it. The reality is the way that it's going to be based on the way Hashem wants it to be. And there's nothing that you can do to change the reality. That's what Amalek says. What Klal Yisrael recognizes is, yes, we may be the Makabla. We may be the ones receiving from Hashem, but that doesn't mean that we're inactive. The goal of the ones that are receiving is to take all the potential and to bring it into reality. We're not inactive. We're a crucial part of the, a crucial component of the creation of the world. Hashem is the mashpia, but Hashem, so to speak, needs us in order to be makabal everything and to take all of that potential and to bring it to reality. Before creation, Hashem wanted to, wanted to do good. Now that there's a creation, we're giving Hashem the space to do good. We're giving Hashem the space to be able to dwell down here in this world. So Amalek says that there is a God, there's a, and a God created the world and runs the world, but we have no part of it. And what, what Purim says, and every time we try to eradicate Amalek, is always the recognition that we have, a, we have a real part in what's taking place in the world, that we matter, that we make a difference, that we're not just simply receiving like Adam Rishon and the moon thought. We're the ones that are receiving, but we receive in a way that we bring the potential into reality. When the first time we ever fought Amalek, the first time we ever battled Amalek was right after Klal Yisrael left Mitzrayim, right after Kriyas Yamsef. Everybody was afraid of Klal Yisrael, except for Amalek. Amalek came and attacked us, like Rashi says, they were jumping into a boiling hot bath that everybody was afraid of. Amalek comes and attacks Klal Yisrael. Who goes to fight Amalek? Not Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is a leader of Klal Yisrael. Would be expected that Moshe Rabbeinu would fight Amalek. Who fights Amalek? Moshe Rabbeinu appoints Yeshua ben Nun to fight Amalek. Why Yeshua ben Nun and not Moshe Rabbeinu? Very simply, the Gemara tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu is the sun and Yeshua is the moon. Moshe Rabbeinu is the Rebbe and Yeshua is the main Talmud. Yeshua is the ultimate, the ultimate student of Moshe Rabbeinu is Yeshua ben Nun. So if we wanna fight Amalek, who's gonna fight Amalek? Not the Rebbe, because the Amalek has no problem with that concept of a son, with that concept of a mashpia, that concept of the one that's giving. Amalek just doesn't believe in the power of the one that's receiving. So if Amalek looks at Yeshua ben Nun, they say he's not doing anything in the, in the part of the process. Moshe Rabbeinu is the ultimate, but if you wanna fight Amalek, we say, no, no, that's true. Of course, Moshe Rabbeinu is the one that's giving, but he's not the ultimate. Moshe without Yeshua, doesn't have anything. If Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't have a Yeshua to give it over to, then, then there's no continuation of the Torah. So the one that fights Amalek is gonna be Yeshua. Because the one that fights Amalek needs to be the one that Chazal say is compared to the moon. The one that's the student, the one that's receiving in order to show Amalek that you're wrong. In order to show Amalek that Klal Yisrael, that the Jewish nation is part of the story, that we're here as part of what's taking place, that Hashem is yes to Mashpiyah, but we're the ones that are makabal and not just simply inactive makablim. We're the ones that are receiving in a way that's able to cultivate and able to turn everything from potential into reality. So the one that fights Amalek is Yeshua. The way that we decide which day of Purim a person celebrates is based on which city you live in, and the cities that the cities that are walled from the times of Yeshua ben Nun, those are the cities that read in Tesvav on the fifteenth day, as opposed to the fourteenth day. So Yushalayim Yerakodesh is probably the most famous of them, although there are potentially others as well. Yushalayim is walled since the time of Yeshua ben Nun, and therefore instead of reading on the fourteenth day, they read on the fifteenth day. Now, why Yeshua ben Nun? Why don't you pick the days of Achashverosh, or the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, or the days of anybody else? It's the only thing in Allah that we find that specifically focuses on the days of Yeshua ben Nun. Because the point of the Purim story is to recognize the value 
and being a Talmud, and being a receiver, and being a Makabal, and being a moon, and being the Isha, and being the one that's receiving. So the whole Yantav is going to revolve around Yeshua Banun. The first war is Yeshua Banun fighting the war. The way we decide what day you read Megillah is based on do you live in this walled city from the time of Yeshua Banun. Everything is going to revolve around this concept of the one that's receiving. As we said, Klal Yisrael is the one that's mentioned. Hashem is not mentioned. Klal Yisrael is the, is the female. Klal Yisrael is the receiver. They're mentioned, not Hashem. Because everything focuses on the female, not the, not the male. Who's the one that saves Kali Yisrael? More than any other story that takes place, this is the, this is the story that the, old, the focus, the whole focus of the story is about a female. The whole, Baruch HaTzadah can't save Kali Yisrael. As great as he is, and as connected as he is, and as much as he saved Achashverosh's life, he can't save Kali Yisrael. Achashverosh says, listen, Baruch HaTzadah is the one that saved my life, big son and Zeresh, but he doesn't offer him the opportunity to be able to ask for whatever he wants like he gives to Esther. Only Esther Amalka is able to save Kali Yisrael. Because it needs to be a female that's going to save Kali Yisrael when it comes to the story of fighting against Amalek. Amalek says the male has importance, the female has no importance. The male representing the Mashpia has importance. Kali Yisrael, the Makabal, the female, has no importance. And the way that we break that, the way that we prove that they're wrong, is that the one that wins the, one that win, the, one that wins the victory, the one that's able to bring what Marcha Yitzhak wants to do from potential into reality, is Esther Amalka. And that's what Marcha Yitzhak says, this is why you were put into the palace. This is your role. The role is to be a makabal, to be a receiver in a way that you're cultivating everything that Mordechai Tzadik wants to do. And you, without, Mar, without Esther Amalka, the story ends and the story ends in a tragic way. It's specifically Esther Amalka who's able to bring it out. The Gemara even tells us that Esther comes from Lashon of in Aramaic to mean moon. Because Esther is the moon. Esther is the makabal. But Esther is the one that wins the story. Esther is the, Esther is the hero of the story because without Esther, without Esther Amalka, without the female, the story never takes place. And therefore, there's going to be the concept of the male and the female, and the female is going to be the main part. Chazal also say, the Gemara and Shabbos says, and I've got to just mention one or, two other, one or two other places that we see this, because this is really the fundamental goal of the whole idea of a leap year and specifically Purim. What happens, what happens Chazal say, what happened by Ma'an Torah, when Kala Yisrael received the Torah the first time around, is that Hashem held a mountain over our head, and Hashem said, receive the Torah, and if you don't receive the Torah, you're all going to get buried under the mountain. Now, we all know that Kala Yisrael said, Nasev so willingly accepted the Torah. Why would Hashem force us to accept the Torah? So many Rishonim learn that Hashem forced us to accept the Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabal the written Torah, what it says in Chamish Yecham Torah and that we accepted very easily. What it says in Torah Shabal Peh, Gemara, Mishnayis, Halacha, all the things that go beyond, everything that's Durabanan, that we didn't accept willingly because it's very difficult to keep and it's very difficult to learn. So we accepted willingly Torah Shabal Torah Shabal Peh, we didn't, we didn't accept willingly. Chazal say, the Gemara Shabbos says, when did we willingly accept Torah Shabal Peh? When it came to the Purim story. They were makabal, then biahava, what they weren't, what they didn't receive the first time around. Torah itself, there's two parts to Torah. There's a male part of Torah and a female part of Torah. The male part of Torah is the written part of Torah. That's the one that's mashpia. That's the one that's giving the ability for the, for the female part, the Torah Shabal Peh, to be able to exist. Without the Torah Shabal without the written Torah, without the Chumash, there's no Mishnayis, there's no Gemara, there's no Alacha, there's no Musar, Ashkafa, Chassidus. None of that can exist without the, without the written Torah, without Torah Shabbat Torah Shabbat is the male part of Torah, and Torah Shabbat is the female part of Torah. The first time around, Chalai Yisrael received the first part of Torah. But it was only when it came to Purim that we started to recognize the value in the female part, in the Levana, in the moon, in that which is Makabal, that then we went ahead and we were Makabal, the second part of Torah, which is the Torah Shabbat And that's why the Yantav Apurim is the day which we celebrate this, uh, this ability to be able to receive the idea, the idea of the Torah Shabbat which is the female part of Torah, because this is the way that we wipe out Amalek. Amalek says the Rabbanisham is important, Klal Yisrael, the receiver, is not important, 
And the goal of the Purim story is the recognition that Klal Yisrael is important. Klal Yisrael is a necessary component in the relationship between the Rabbanu and us, between the Mashpi and the Makabal. We are a necessary component, we're necessary. And this is the whole idea of what happens in a leap year, the unification of the sun and the moon, and specifically in Purim. And perhaps that's why it's called Purim Katan. Purim Katan means, like we said at the beginning, it means the small Purim. What's small about Purim? What's small about Purim is that the Ma'or HaKatan, that's what the moon was called, it's called the small light. But it's not small in a way that it's insignificant. It's small in a way that it's receiving. It's small in a way that it's cultivating. It's small in a way that it's taking everything put into it and it's turning it from potential into reality. So it may look small and insignificant in the world we live now, but in the reality of the world, it's not something which is small. So the Yantav is called Purim Katan because we're focusing on the smaller of the two lights, the light which right now is looked at as not as significant, as not as dominant, as not as important as the big light, which is the moon. The makabal, the female, the receiver, is not looked at as as important as the male, but that's all a mistake. And on Purim, we're able to see that that's a mistake. On Purim, we're able to see that the mashpia needs the makabal, the makabal needs the mashpia, that the male needs the female, and the female needs the male, that the Rebbe needs the Talmud, and Shabbos needs the six days of the week, that every part of this, this relationship, between Hashem and us and us and Hashem, we bo both parts need each other in order to be able to create anything. And therefore it's a yantif which we're able to bring together this idea of the mashpia and the makamu, which practically, uh, practically what this means is very, very simple. It means that every one of us find ourselves, regardless of whether you're male or, male or female, every person finds himself in dual, in dual roles. There are times when we find ourselves in roles of giving, and the times when we find ourselves in roles of receiving. Like we mentioned, a wife may be in a role of receiving, a mother is in the role of giving, a child may be in the role of receiving from his mother, but he may be in the role of giving when it comes to friends. Every person finds himself in a relationship of either a giver or receiver at every moment. And in Kabbalah, everything, everything works this way. Everything in nature works this way. Everything in reality works male and female, giver and receiver. The goal when a person finds himself in either one of the two positions is to recognize that I can exist without the other half of the reality. That the male can exist without the female and the female can exist without the male. That the mashpia needs the makabal because if a mashpia does not have the makabal, then it's nothing, then it's just potential without the ability to turn into reality. And the Makabal needs to realize that I'm not just receiving, the goal of the one receiving is to cultivate that, to take everything which is just potential and to bring it into reality. In the home, the female is the one that takes the potential of what maybe the husband wants to bring, but the, the female is the one that's at the end of the day bringing up the children much more than the male. She's the one that's taking the hashkafa, the potential, the, the hypothetical, what, what, what the house should look like and bringing it into reality. So the goal is that regardless of which position you find yourself in, at every moment that's fluid and it can be changing, to recognize that both parts are necessary for each other. We're receiving at every moment from Hashem, but at the same time, we have to recognize we're also giving to Hashem. That when we do a mitzvah, so to speak, giving something to Hashem that Hashem can't receive without us. And when we do tzedakah and we do chesed and we're doing things in this world, we're so to speak giving to Hashem. So on the one hand, we're receiving, but we're also, we're also in a way we're giving. And when we're on the position of giving or receiving, we have to recognize in every part of that reality and every part of this relationship, both parts are crucial, both parts are necessary. And this is what Mashiach looks like, is when it's gonna be when the moon and the sun are gonna come back together, when the male and female, when the mashpia and the makabal are gonna come back together and be able to recognize they're equal partners, that there's no one main dominant partner in the relationship. They're equal partners. That the male without the female, the female without the male can't do anything. They both need each other. That every mashpia and every makabal, every rebbe needs his talmidim, every talmud needs his rebbe. They need each other 
That's going to be the ultimate place in Mashiach when they're able to come back together and the sun and the moon are going to be able to be recognized that it's Shnei Ma'or Sagadam. They're both big. They're both crucial. They're both important. There's no, there's no totem pole. There's no higher and lower. They're both necessary. And the one that's giving needs to recognize that it needs the receiver. And the one that's receiving needs to recognize its role in receiving and cultivating and taking that thing and turning it from a potential into reality. I mentioned, I'll end with this story. I mentioned, I mentioned this story once, I think on Shabbos, to the men, maybe, maybe about two years ago. But the Balshemtiv one time was with his Hasidim, and the Balshemtiv used to daven very, very long davening. He would spend maybe about three hours davening Shemana Esrei on an average day. And he would have his Hasidim, he would have his, you know, his own private minion that would sit there with him and they would wait for him, obviously, he was the rebel. But they would, you know, it would take a long amount, a long amount of time until they would finish Shemana Esrei after an hour maybe, and it would take him about three hours to finish Shemana Esrei. So there was a lot of sitting around waiting for the Rebbe to finish Shemana Esrei in order to then be able to move on to the next part of davening. So one day they decided, listen, the Rebbe's sitting there, he's in the middle of Shemana Esrei anyways. We know that it's going to take him a minimum of three hours to finish Shemana Esrei. Let's go into the next room. Maybe we'll learn a little bit. Maybe we'll get something to eat while we're waiting. And we'll come back in two hours and 45 minutes later. And by that time, we'll still have another, you know, 15 minute, 15 minute, you know, window to be able to make sure that we come in early enough and that we'll be able to be there before our Rebbe Deval Shemtiv finishes Shemana Esrei. Fine, great idea. They all agreed. It's a good idea. He'll never know. He's standing in the front of the shul. I'll never know. Uh, if you go to Mezhbush, I've been to Ukraine, so you're able to see they recreated the shul, the Balshamtiv. It was destroyed in the Holocaust, but they had pictures from before the Holocaust. They recreated it exactly the way it looks. It's actually a wood burning stove in the back, and that's how they heat the place. It's with kerosene lights. It's very, very, it's a beautiful, beautiful shul. And you're able to see the place exactly where the Balshamtiv stood, the exact place that the Balshamtiv stood over 300 years ago, where he stood and where he davened. All the way in the front, the right corner of the shul, that's where he stood. So they said, the Rebbe's in the front. We're in the back, we'll go outside, we'll go to the next room and we'll eat something. Fine, they do that. They go out, they go out to the room. They had, they had at least two hours until the Rebbe would finish Manasseh. They go to the other room and five minutes later, the Gabbai calls them back in and says, the Rebbe finished Manasseh. Basham to finish Manasseh. This is odd. He takes every day, it takes three hours. We know how long it takes. It takes three hours. Suddenly the one day we decide to leave, he finished Manasseh in, in you know, two hours earlier than he, than he normally does. Fine, they come back in, they continue davening. After davening, the Chassidim asked the Rebbe, they asked the Baal Shemtiv, they said, Rebbe, what happened? They said, we know Shemana Esri takes three hours. So, like, what happened? Suddenly we walk out and suddenly Shemana Esri took, you know, two hours shorter than it would have. So Baal Shemtiv said, it's very, very simple. He said, I'll give you a mashal. And this mashal will see is the whole, is everything the Purim Kratans all about. He said, there was once a king who was on a hunting expedition with his soldiers. And they were going far away from it on the hunting expedition. And the king was traveling in the forest with his soldiers and with his whole entourage. And as they were traveling, as they were moving from place to place, the king saw a beautiful, beautiful bird in, a, in the top of a tree. It had a nest, a gorgeous colored bird, beautiful bird, something that he couldn't find where, where he lived. He wanted the bird very badly, but there's no ladders, there's no ability, there's no trucks over there that he can just climb to the top of the tree and get it easily. He doesn't have ropes, he doesn't have the ability to get down the bird. So the, the king tells his, tells his people, he tells the other soldiers, listen, I want that bird from the top of the tree, but at the end of the day, I, 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 we don't have a way to get it. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna make a human pyramid and we're gonna slowly climb on top of each other, holding onto the side of the tree until the top guy will be able to grab that bird, I'll capture the bird and we'll bring it back to the palace. Fine, they all agreed. They start climbing one guy, two guys, three guys, four guys. It's about six people tall. And the guy in the bottom has already been standing there for in, in about 20 minutes by now. His shoulders are hurting. He has five people on top of him. And he said, what am I standing here for already? The guy in the top will get the bird whenever he gets out. I'm not necessary anymore. So the guy in the bottom walks away and obviously when the guy in the bottom walks away, the whole tower collapses and everything falls apart. The Balshemtiv said, I may be the one that looks like I'm the one on top grabbing the bird, but you don't realize that I need every single one of the people, one of the chassidim underneath me. And if any one of you just walk out of the room and say, 
I'm not necessary. There's no point in me. I'm just here, just standing on the bottom like, like a girl. I'm not doing anything. Then I also fall apart. Because the Hasidim needs the Rebbe and the Rebbe needs the Hasidim. And it's a dual relationship. And the Baal said, I can't daven the Shemana Esri that I daven if you're not here with me. If you go into the other room and I don't feel your presence here, Baal said, I can't daven the Shemana Esri that I would like to. Because you think that, okay, you just need me. Baal said, I also need you. That there's a dual relationship of the Mashpia and the Makabal, of the one giving and the one receiving. This is the goal of what takes place in a leap year, what takes place in Purim Katan. We need to recognize that as females, obviously, in general, with the biological sense, the receivers need to recognize the goal of being a receiver. The parents that are giving need to recognize the value in giving, but also the value in the children that are receiving. To recognize how crucial that is in order to be able to bring everything we want into reality is our children. Our children are not just receiving everything we're giving them. They're taking it and they're cultivating They're turning it into something. That every time a person goes somewhere and a person's a macabre, a person finds himself in the role of receiving to recognize that's important. And that's, that's crucial to the relationship. And the more we recognize the value in both giving and that the giver needs the receiver, and the more when we're receiving, we, va- we recognize the value in receiving because receiving means to cultivate. It means to take all of the potential that's put there and to turn it into reality, to be that Shabbos which takes everything from the six days of the week and brings it in from potential into reality. The more we recognize as Klal Yisrael, how much, so to speak, Hashem needs us. That Hashem says, I created a world, but I need you, Klal Yisrael. If you don't do it, no one's going to do it. The more we recognize that we're not just simply inactive receivers, but receivers that receive and cultivate, the more we'll be able to be, be able to create that reality. Hashem should help us. We should be zeicha. Should merit to be able to bring back the chama and the levana. This is what's ultimately going to take place when Mashiach comes. And both the male and the female, both the giver and the receiver, will recognize their inherent value. The one that's giving tzedakah and the one that's receiving tzedakah will realize they're both important. Not just the one giving. And Eretz Hashem, by doing that, will be zeicha to come back to Mashiach when Yimalak begimis alvana. Hashem will fill. That lack of the moon, the moon which feels like it's insignificant and it's not valued, Hashem will make the moon feel valued again. The moon recognize that it's necessary for the sun. The sun realize that it needs the moon and ultimately will be able to get to the place of Mashiach when the sun and the moon will come back together.